make a few statements to you just before I introduce Lindsay. The book of Acts, as you well know, was written by Luke, the beloved physician. And while it covers a little more than three decades, it's filled with exciting stories of how men like Peter, James, John, Paul, were all used by the Holy Spirit to manifest the healing and delivering power of God. And it's also filled with valuable lessons for ministers today who truly desire to follow the leadership of the Holy Spirit. One of the most powerful statements in the book of Acts is found in chapter 1 and verse 1. The former treaties have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and to teach. Began to do and teach would imply that he's not finished yet. Amen. This just records what he began to do. You and I are writing the closing chapters. What I'm wondering is this. Are they going to be as exciting as the previous chapters? Amen. Are they going to talk about how the Holy Spirit operated through us as, they, as he did in the early disciples? Verse 3, it says, To show himself alive by many infallible proofs. And I believe that's still what he wants to do. To show himself alive with many infallible proofs. And I believe what the Holy Spirit desires is that he repeat this through you and me. So the ministry of Jesus is not finished. It's continuing, and he's using us now to get the job done. Can you say amen? amen? I believe also that one of the greatest desires, or one of our greatest desires should be that we become like the men mentioned in Acts chapter C and three, I'm sorry, Acts chapter six and verse three. Men who were full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom. They were not only full of the Holy Ghost, but full of wisdom. And I believe that would apply to this. They not only were full of the Holy Ghost, but they knew how to flow with him. Amen. They had the wisdom and the sensitivity of the Holy Ghost so that they might flow with and through him. And then in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 18, at the beginning of that verse, it says, But if ye be led of the Spirit, that would imply that it's possible for you and I to be led by the Spirit. And furthermore, it's possible that each and every one of us can be led by the Spirit and should be led by the Spirit. So the question is, how how hungry are you for it? Amen. How hungry are you for being led by the Holy Spirit? Jesus said, when we hunger and thirst for the things of God, we will be filled. God always responds to hunger. So I trust that by the time we finish this conference, that your hunger level has gone to another level. Praise God. Amen. Uh, this afternoon, we've got Miss Lindsay is going to take the service today. And uh, I'm looking forward to hearing what she has to say. I have great confidence in her teaching ability and her sensitivity to the Holy Spirit. Of course, you know that she's the wife of Richard Roberts. And uh, they both have been dear friends of us uh, for a long, long time. And we're very honored to have them with us in this conference. So would you stand and give Lindsay a good, warm welcome? Thank you. Thank you. I need your Bible. Can I have your Bible? Or oh, my Bible's in my phone. Thank you. I brought all my props, my okay. notebook. 
Thank you. Now, before you sit back down, I've got to have little Miss Carolyn come up here. Woman, you birthed. Woman, thou hast birthed. Give her a hand clap. I tell you what, I am so honored to see what she did. Didn't she do a good job? I tell you what, you took unrighteousness and righteousness to a new level in the sweetest way humanly possible. A woman almost 70 years old, delivering her soul with some of the most compassion I've ever heard on the earth, but telling the truth. You know it's hard to tell the truth and not make people mad. But you told the truth, and I'm glad. (laughs) I love you, and you did good, woman. Oh, thank you, thank you. Father God, in the name of Jesus, help me follow Carolyn. Father God, in the name of Jesus, I'm not kidding. Help me follow Carolyn. Thank you, Father God, in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Now, I have props, but I didn't bring them today. They're for tomorrow. So, And I don't have a, a frog. And I said to Carolyn, do you realize that my marketing brain suddenly went 1,000 miles an hour? Why don't we have 500 frogs out in the back room for all of us to go and put that frog in front of our face to be continuously reminded of that slow burn that will kill you. I tell you, we ignore the little things. And today I want to talk to you. I've got my phone here, not for phone reasons, but I do my Bible in my phone. And so I want to talk to you about some of the things that I feel like, do you realize that these are my notes? But this previous was all I was writing as fast as I could on Carolyn's notes. And I said, woman, there's a book in there. (laughs) Woman, you got something going. Okay, I want to talk to you about Jeremiah. And I want to talk to you about teamwork makes the dream work. And I want to talk to you about teamwork makes the dream work. So you go, oh my gosh, how many times have we heard that? That's the dumbest old saying that's overused and overwrought and over this and over that. But I want to tell you this. The first that I know of, of a totally amazing, awesome team where the teamwork was impeccable, so perfect that we can learn from was God. He put together the mega mighty team, the best team on earth, God, the father, God, the son, and God, the Holy spirit. And the one thing I learned about looking at the way God operates is he knew when to pass the baton. He knew when to keep it and run the race and he knew when to include and to move on. Now I tell you what I would prefer personally having Jesus on the earth today so he could walk in the room and say, well done, Carolyn. But he's not here. He's operating in us and through us because of the Holy Spirit. And when the disciples all talked to Jesus and they were kind of, you know, half of them mad as a hornet and half of them just totally oppressed and depressed because Jesus knew and warned them he was about to leave this earth. And they were upset and they were frustrated and they didn't know what to think. And he said, it is better. It is better. God never leaves us depleted. He always leaves us. It is better. And it really is better that Jesus had gone to the Father because then he wouldn't just be with us. He could usher back through the Holy Spirit and now be in us, operating in interceding for us 24 hours a day, seven days a week, where we can pray out the will of the Father, where we can think out the will of the Father, and where, where, where we can act out the will of the Father. When the team works perfectly, how many of you watch the, uh, the World Series? I just got to tell you that from the time I was a child, 
That was one of my props I was going to bring, and I forgot to ask you. I, I may bring it later. I have a glove from the 1968 World Series signed by Mickey Mantle. Uh, I wish Mickey Mantle. That is still something God's got to help me forgive my husband over. Sat, he, he played a round of golf with Mickey Mantle. He, know, he knew Mickey Mantle, talked to him, had a wonderful time with him. Never got me an autograph. <laughs> I ha- you know, I may have to go. I know, right? Seriously, I may have to come back to the altar. We have that. May have to have another altar call. Mickey, <laughs> Mickey Lowledge, 1968 Cy Young Award winner, World Series pitcher that won the 1968 World Series for the Detroit Tigers. I have his glove. And he was sent to me. He signed it. And it's one of the most precious possessions I ever had. And I passed it on to my precious Jerry because... <sighs> If you have something that means that much to you, you pass it on to the team. And I passed it on to the team. But without Mickey Lolich standing there, without Verlander standing there, without the people that they had standing, you know, they, they will go down forever talking. You always go down talking about the seventh game of the World Series. It's just a law. I know it's written somewhere. I'm, I'm not sure one of my relatives might have written it. But I grew up Detroit Tiger baseball, and I could keep a box score before I could talk hardly. And in that day, you know, we had Bill Freehan, and we had Storm and Norman Cash, and we had Mickey Lolich, and we had this, and we had that. We had Gates the Gator Brown, and we had all of that. And I could go on and on because I knew baseball. I literally thought those people were my relatives. There was so much baseball talked about in my house, I thought they were my relatives. But if you watched yesterday, something happened with Houston. And I'm, I'm a Dodger fan, too. I'm just a baseball fan. And I probably know more about growing up with the Dodgers than I did Houston, obviously. But something clicked with Houston. You could see it. You could feel it. From the moment it was, you know, five to one or or five to nothing, then five to this is This is hard to come back from because you could sense there was an energy that was synergetically working together as teamwork. In God's kingdom, teamwork makes the dream work. But one member out of control will cause a domino effect where it affects every member of the team. And when we realize we are not an island unto ourselves, but we are part of the body of Christ, and we're part of the team, I think the best thing I took away from Carolyn's message was the generation we're living in today is going to hell in a handbasket, and we're handing them the basket. We are part of the team that is supposed to be the teamwork making the dream work. And many times we are too timid, we're too old, we're too young, we're too this, we're too that. I used to read a book to my children about excuses. It was called Old Hat, New Hat, and it was too beady, too bumpy, too leafy, too lumpy. Nothing was ever right. And in the body of Christ, we are too beady, too bumpy, too leafy, too lumpy. I can't go to this church. I don't want to minister there. I'm too old. I'm too young. I'm too this. I'm too that. And it is time for us to recognize that Carolyn birthed twins today. And whenever God wants something to happen in the earth, he has a baby born. You, I believe with all of my heart, we need God. I believe that with every fiber of my soul. But I believe God needs us more. I believe God looked through the heavenlies and said, we have something that will be a need. Therefore, I will have Lindsay Roberts born. Therefore, I will have 
Carol and Savelle born. Therefore, I'll have Richard, I'll have Terry, or I'll have this, or I'll have that. Born into the earth because God had a need. As much as we needed God, and we still need God, and we have to need God, and that's that God vacuum, as they say, that's born within every human soul. As much as that, I believe, is true, God had a need, therefore you were born. Now, whether or not you like to accept that may or may not be a different story. I'm the kind of person, when I was a child growing up, I never said two words. I was, to the point, past introverted. I was almost socially strange. I was a straight-A student. I loved everything about books. When I was four years old, I began studying the dictionary and playing Scrabble because I loved words. And I would go to bed sleeping with a flashlight and a dictionary studying new words that I could use in Scrabble. And to this day, I love to be challenged in Scrabble. My husband cheated at Scrabble. I will never play Scrabble with him again. You know in Scrabble how they have two tiles that are blanks, right? So you can put anything you want. And you save them for the cue so you can put a U and all of that. So he did not understand that I was smart enough to know that I'd played enough Scrabble that there's only two blanks. So Mr. I got to admit it was really good, a good idea. Mr. Smart Alec over there, what did he decide to do? He kept turning the tiles over, faking blanks. So we got like 16 blank tiles. And I'm like, wait a minute, you can't do that? He said, well, you know, I'm winning. I'm like, you're cheating. Never played Scrabble with him again. I played Scrabble with a friend of mine that has five companies on the New York Stock Exchange. And we sat there for hour after. I thought, I thought the, and I let the husband and wife be a team against me, right? And I thought, this is going to be really challenging. After his first play of 15 minutes, he wrote the word the. I said, I quit. But you see, what happens is when we began to prepare for life itself, I was prepared with books and numbers. I love numbers. My favorite thing I ever did with numbers, I taught college calculus to college students when I was a high school student, or younger, I think. I like mathematics. Everybody thinks math is hard. Math is simple. Why? Because two plus two will always equal four. It has a pattern. It's simple. And I love things like that because they always came out right. I didn't like things that I had to challenge myself that could have off-the-charts, weird, suede, obscure endings. I like two plus two to always equal four. So I never went off my charts. I never went off my way. I never experimented. I never tried anything. I was always very much in my box. As a result of it, I never spoke. I didn't speak up. I didn't speak anything. I went to college. I didn't talk. When I was a senior in college, I had to give freshman speech. On the last day of the last speech of freshman speech on my senior year to graduate. And so my instructor said, I'll, I'll make it easy on you. What do you like? I said, I like dogs. She said, I have a tiny little Yorkie. I will bring my dog. You can hold my dog and you can give your speech. So she said, and always use props. Where do you think I get that from? And so from Carolyn and all of my props were all these big boards. And I was going to give speech on this dog. I stood up and I got ready to speak and I was shaking so hard that I was shaking the dog so hard that the speech teacher said, give me the dog, sit down and I will pass you. So when God called
called me out of my comfort zone, I didn't want to obey. And the Lord began to speak to me that my dis, my my fear of being in public or speaking in public, my shyness was teetering on disobedience. I didn't want to be disobedient. I just wanted to be left alone. I just wanted to, I wanted my books. I love books. I edit books. I read books. I've got books all over my house. My clothing closet is nothing on its books. I, I took all the stuff off the shelves and I put bookshelves in. It's not a shoe shelf. It's not a jacket shelf. It's, it's all bookshelves. I don't know very much about fashion, but I know a lot about books. And so here I am. And my precious husband, after we got married, first thing he ever did, I remember I copied Gloria Copeland. Because I remember one time Kenneth tried to make Gloria Copeland stand up and say a word. Do you remember her response? She stood up and she said, no. (laughs) Right up my alley. Woman after my own heart now. I've got a mentor, right? So Richard decides right after we got married that he was going to introduce me. Well, I never allowed that. I would always get up and run off. I mean, literally, if he'd take me backstage and say, now, at this point, I'm going to introduce you. I was gone. One time I got back in my car. I'm from Florida. And I started to drive back to Florida. I'm not kidding. I don't like that stuff. So he's, he, made, he made this thing where he had to introduce me. And at that time, talk about dark stages. Everything was all dark. And they had house lights in the building we were in. And so he said, pull up a spotlight. Put up the house lights. I want you to meet Lindsay. Well, by then I had left where I was. And I was hidden way in the back of the crowd. And this woman that was about 103 in a green dress realized that I was Richard's wife. And she turned to me and she said, are you Lindsay? I said, yes. And she did one of these from Sam. I'm so excited to meet you. And the spotlight hit her. And I just sat there sitting down while they were introducing Richard's wife. And this 103-year-old lady in a bright green dress stood up and said, so excited to meet you while I'm sitting down saying, serves you right, pumpkin. Because I was not part of the team to make the dream work publicly. It wasn't in me. And God spoke to me about disobedience. And he took me over to the book of Jeremiah. And I think Carolyn and I have the book of Jeremiah totally and completely memorized now. Because Jeremiah was so young when God called him, he said, I called you, I formed you, I knew you in your mother's womb. I ordained you a prophet to the nations. Now, how much more specific can God get? Do you remember Jeremiah's return words to God? I formed you in your mother's womb. I knew you. I ordained you. I called you a prophet to the nations. Do you remember the next? It's Jeremiah 1. Do you remember the next words he said? Oh, Lord God. It's scriptural. He said, oh, Lord God. I'm but a youth. I'm a kid. And here goes the too beady, too bumpy, too leafy, too lumpy. All the excuses came pouring out of Jeremiah of why Jeremiah couldn't obey the word of the Lord, couldn't do what God called him, couldn't stop whatever it is. I tell you what, after this, if anybody goes back and repeat performance, I can't wait to see what God's going to do to deal with you. Because after today and this morning, I believe God showed us that if we will clean the slate, we can start over and do everything he's called us to do. And my... My thing, if, if, if I were just getting married after, after Carolyn preached that and I was sitting out there, I would be running to the altar crying my guts out over disobedience because of being too shy. That's just who I am. 
I used to do daily television with my husband, and I'd smile at you all, and I never, never said very much. And I had a bucket beside me that I would throw up in when we'd go to commercials. And every time we'd go to commercial, <laughs> and they'd leave the bucket because, of course, there was more commercials coming. And that is how I did live television. But I realized that disobedience is disobedience. And if I could tap into the power of the Holy Spirit, that I could do all things through Christ who gives me strength. I was pregnant and I'd had six pregnancies in total, three babies living. But, but in the middle of one pregnancy, I was throwing up all the time. And I thought, oh my goodness, God gave me the most perfect excuse I can't go on television because I don't just throw up in the commercials. I throw up all the time. How exciting. So I told my husband, I'm not coming anymore. I'm not doing this. I'm done. And the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, get up, get dressed, go down, and begin speaking on live TV. Richard looked at me like, because I'd already told him I'm done. And so the TV program had started. We're on live television. Crazy things were all going on. And I walked in, and the Lord spoke to me about ministering on suicide. And I said, because we're live, if you are ready to commit suicide right now as we speak, call. And I'm going to take the call. Sixteen people called in. And after the program, the Lord spoke to me and said, you feel good about that, sixteen? I will never forget that number as long as I live. And I said, yeah, Lord, I feel good about that. He said, well, I don't. He said, if you hadn't gotten up and told and done what I told you to do, I'd have held you accountable to your account for all 16. I went home, and when I was done crying like six weeks later, I pulled myself together and said, disobedience is disobedience no matter how you cover it up with what fancy words. And I recognized that I could not do anything in my own strength, but through the power of the Holy Spirit... We really can do all things. And because this conference is listening to the Spirit and being led by the Spirit and hearing instructions so that we can get our lives into a position to really receive the Holy Spirit and then operate in the Holy Spirit, that's what I want to talk about today. How do we become a member of the proper team? I have a friend who is in her early 30s and for 30 years kept telling her dad she wanted to jump out of an airplane. And as she was... Saying all this, for her 30th birthday, he surprised her with a ticket to jump out of an airplane. And she got up there and said to her dad, I was just kidding. And so she realized that fear had gripped her. And when fear gripped her, they began to have a conversation in the plane about, hey, make sure you guys got the right people attached to your parachute because the first jump you have to do with an instructor. And so while she is, th- is getting ready to jump and they're strapping her to the instructor who had the ripcord to the parachute... The interesting thing was they were all talking about, yeah, we had an instructor once it was so high he couldn't find where the parachute was, couldn't find where the She's getting ready to jump. Not good conversation. And she realized, and they kind of came back around and said, wait a minute, wait a minute, you've got like one of the best instructors in the state. This guy's awesome. You're going to be fine. Be careful who you attach yourself to that could be pulling your ripcord on the way out of the land into a free fall and make sure your parachute opens. Who is your teammate today? Is it Father God? Is it Holy Spirit? Is it none of the above? Or do you think they're part of your team, but they are the secondary team that you put on the bench and you let whoever you want pull the ripcord and you say, well, God's on my team. God may be on your team, but is he the captain of your life? When we allow God to clean us out, clean us up, 
Then we had this amazing opportunity to, like Jeremiah, change a nation. Something that was very interesting about what God told Jeremiah, that this would be his job and he would be part of the team to do this. And he didn't have any choice because God called him before he was in his mother's womb. He knew as he formed him, he made him a prophet to the nations. He said, I've got four instructions for you. The first three, I believe, were for Jeremiah, and the fourth one, I believe, is God's response to Jeremiah. He said in Jeremiah 1, I want you to go rip up, root out, rebuild, or replant and rebuild. Rip up, root out, rebuild, and replant. Now think about that. Many of us are really okay if we allow God to, like, scratch the surface and kind of rip up our lives and separate us from something, but don't you dare root it out. Because I just want to know that if I ever need it again, that safety net is going to be there and I'm going to allow it regrowth. You see, the bottom line is we can come to the altar and we can come and pray and we can say, God, I give you the surface and you can kind of make me feel good enough to scratch the scab off. But don't you dare go down to the root. Because if we allow God to rip it out at the root, it's not coming back. Jesus cursed the fig tree where? At the root. He said, rip it up. And when he said, rip it up, God told me, just like Carolyn, get a sheet of paper, draw a line down the center. I would advise you to do so at some point in your life. And put left side, right side. Things you are willing to do for God and be honest. Own it. Things you're not willing to do for God. Own it. And then over here, people you are willing to share the love of God with and people you're not. People you just love with the love of the Lord. People you honestly hate their guts. And the truth of the matter is, we can fill both sides of the pages. And the Lord said, read the first part. What did he say? Rip it up. Okay, rip up. What happens when you rip it up? Do you notice how suddenly there's a separation? And you're not going back? You can tape this rascal. You can super glue. You can easy glue. You can do whatever you want. But it has been torn away. And the reason it's torn away is to separate you. From the things that God does not want to have there. Then you do it at the root. And when you pull it out at the root, what begins to happen? It has no ability to regrow. When Jesus cursed the fig tree at the root, it looked like nothing happened. All the greenery was still there. But when he cursed it at the root, something supernatural began to happen from the world that we do not see. From the unknown world. From the world where Jesus himself begins to own and operate. Where we don't operate, but God operates. And when he gets down into that realm and we say, God, I trust you, ooh la la. I trust you to take it down at the root. Even though it looks so pleasant on the outside, all of a sudden something starts to dry up from underneath. And then he said, replant. I have said so many times to the Lord, but, comma, I'm a tither. And I believe it puts me into a different category. I have sown seeds, uh, miscarriage after miscarriage, dead baby after mess after mess, seven surgeries I think I had by the time I was like 28. And God told me, if you want to reap, you must sow. I began to have baby showers, extravagant baby showers for pregnant women. And some of them didn't even want to be pregnant. And one of them prayed that if I'd lay hands on them, the baby would disappear. I'm sitting there with my guts on the floor. Giving baby showers for people who did and at some point did not want to be pregnant. Crying my eyeballs out because I decided to replant. 
Because if you'll replant, if you'll sow in famine, if you'll do what the Holy Spirit tells you to do, if you will lead yourself out of the wilderness, I will make a way in your wilderness. I'll make rivers in your desert. And God promised that in Isaiah. Isaiah 43, 18 and 19. He said, behold, I'll do a new thing. Shall you not know it? Which means you can miss it. And he said, I will make a way in your wilderness. I will make rivers in your desert. But you've got to be willing to replant. And you may feel like a miserable failure. Listen, I understand Donald Trump. What? I've never met the man. Don't know him. Would I like to meet him? Sure, because I respect... Wow, I'm 61. Now I can say this and people can roll their eyes at me, especially the young people. I respect the office of the president. I also respect Donald Trump for having the guts to stand up to the things that man is standing up to and not be dead by now. But when he began to talk about fake news, why didn't I come up with that term? I have dealt with liars. I have dealt with fake news. I have dealt with shake and bake news. I have felt with make up the news. I was in a news conference once with a bunch of news reporters and I was invited to speak. What in the world were they thinking? (laughs) Duh. And the person before me said, I want you to know that nobody controls the world like the presidents or the prime ministers. We control the world because we control the news. And because we control the news, we can make it anything we want. The make news. And and the, the person was speaking from the point, the vantage point of we no longer report the news. We create the news. And we have had the most created. You got to give them credit. Some of it is really unbelievable and suckers out there are believing it and buying it by the nickel and dime worth. They have pitched it and sold it so well that poor fools, the Bible calls them. Read the modern translation. It calls them suckers. Poor fools. Oh, listen, I have a Bible with 26 translations or 25. I read it constantly because I can't wait to see what the new words are. And then I go back to the Noah Webster dictionary. It's like those words are obsolete now. But poor fools are being led down the garden path to believe that this stuff is truth. Then what do they do? This is what's scary. Then they act on it. And we as Christians have sat back in our seat of holy politeness while political correctness, I call it political lunacy, but that's just my choice of words. But while political correctness is destroying the church. And if we sit back and not say, Holy Spirit, what is my part of this team? Then you've got the fake news, the the make news, the I don't know what in the world that news is. And I've had it happen to me. I've had it happen to me when I was reading a news article and I found out I was the subject. It was so far from the truth, I didn't even know that I was me. (laughs) And here we sit. And we've got to get to a place where we know who our team is and not be ashamed of the team. Stick with the team that makes the dream come to pass. And we are a peculiar people, wholly separated for the service of God. And when we recognize it's okay to be alone sometimes, it's okay to be ridiculed sometimes, it's okay to be mocked sometimes. But for heaven's sake, if you're part of the church, quit beating each other up. Because that is not okay. And that nonsense is what's creating division and strife opens the door. What does the Bible say to every evil work? But when we understand that we have the ability to rip up, to root out, to replant, and then ask God to rebuild. 
then we have an opportunity to be part of the team that makes the dream of God come to pass. God birthed you for one reason. He had a need for you. And the need for you is for such a time as this. You don't have to be Esther. You don't have to replace Vashti. You don't have to have a crown on your head, although some of that might be cool. But the cool part is God birthed you for a reason, and he had a need for you. Part of that need was just to worship, to fellowship with you. But if I'm going to fellowship with somebody, I'm going to say, do you need anything? Carolyn Savelle will say to me, while she's sitting here working her guts out on this sermon, say, do you need something? Can I get you a water? Carolyn, you're working your guts out on this sermon. You're the preacher. You're about to give birth. I should be helping you. I should be wiping your brow. And what is she saying to me? Can I get you anything? Because when you recognize that you fellowship with people, the first thing you want to do is serve them. When I fellowship with God, I want to say, what do you need? And how can I accommodate it? God has proven how his team works. 1 Corinthians 12, 28. He said in the church, apostles, prophets, teachers, miracles, gifts of healing, helps government and tongues. Ephesians 4, 11, And he gave some apostles, prophets, evangelists, teachers, pastors. 1 Corinthians 12, 21. Should the eye say it has no need of the hand? Or should the head say to the feet, I have no need of you? Folks... If ever there was a day for the body of Christ, whether you're the hand or the foot or the elbow or the pinky toe, we have to band together on the same team through the divine inspiration of the Holy Spirit. I don't have to do your work. You don't have to do my work. But we have to be loved. Let us love one another for love is of God and uplift and uphold each other. Because every time Carolyn would call, I wanted to get her on the road. Come on, Carolyn. I'm, I'm, I didn't do her work. I didn't do her research. But I was her cheerleader. And when she was weary, I could say, you got this. You can do this. Because she did. Living proof. She did. But God is saying to us, God has tempered the body together. First Corinthians 12, 24. He has tempered. Have you ever seen how glass is tempered or how tin is tempered? Sometimes it's a pounding. But he's tempered us together. There should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care one for another. One member suffers, they all suffer. Oh, my goodness sake. When one member suffers, we should all feel it enough to pray them out of it. When one member rejoices... This jealousy, envy, junk ought to be kicked out of the church with the biggest boot I've ever seen. When one member prospers, why don't you do two things? Rejoice and figure out how they did it. Wow, there's a thought right there. Know you are the body of Christ. Know you are the team of the Lord Jesus Christ. Ephesians 4.13. We are here for the unity of faith. Teamwork makes the dream work. I remember my brother and how, you know, Meadowlark Lemon adored Jerry Savelle and Jerry adored Meadowlark Lemon. And he adored my father-in-law, Roberts, and called him, my father-in-law called him Meadows. And one day Meadows was in a building we were in and it was a building that had a gymnasium thing in it. And in the gymnasium, all the guys 
who were a little bit too old to be playing that kind of competitive sports that they played when they were 18 years old and took a lot of the bumps, the bruise, the beating, wore a lot of elbow pads, wore a lot of patches, wore a lot of bandages, and wore, you know, they walked with a lot, yeah, those kind of guys who thought they could play basketball again, but it was kind of only in their own imagination. So they all got together and they would play competitive basketball and one guy got his teeth knocked out and he came in with his new teeth and his wife was in the audience saying, don't you touch his teeth. I mean, it was one of those things where when your wife has to tell don't touch his teeth, you are too old to be doing what you're doing. <laughs> so my brother, having the knowledge that, that Meadowlark Lemon was coming to do television with us, convinced Meadowlark to put on his Harlem Globetrotters uniform and while all the guys are picking teams, my brother walks in arm in arm with Meadowlark. And my brother's tall anyway, but Meadowlark towered him. And my brother strolled in and he looked at the whole group of geezers playing basketball. And he said, I got my team. Who have you got on your team? Who is on your team? Is it somebody that's going to knock your teeth out? Or is it somebody like Meadows that's going to win the ball game for you? I got my team. Do you have your team? And do you know what your teammates are doing behind your back? Just a question. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And then we're going to go a little further with the teammate. God the Father, El Elyon, Most High, creator of the universe. Abraham called him the Most High God, the possessor of heaven and earth, the one who delivers us from our enemies. He is Elohim, the strong one, El Shaddai, God Almighty, Jehovah Jireh, our provider, our peace, our Lord of hosts, commander of the armies of heaven. Adonai, the majesty, the one true God, the authority. In the New Testament, he begins to call himself our father, making it a very, very personal Abba, Daddy, God, our father. And we begin to see that God, the father in the book of Matthew. Now we've seen Jesus, believe me, we've seen Jesus, you know, from the foundation of the earth, right? He was there with the father God when he created it. But when you talk about Jesus, and you wonder, when was he created? Everybody thinks, oh, Jesus was born, and he popped up. in. No, Jesus didn't pop up in Matthew. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace, Jesus comes and joins them. How do we know that? Because King Nebuchadnezzar, who basically hated God's guts, turned around and said, I, we threw in three. I see a fourth man, and the fourth man looks like, not God, the Son of God. So he makes appearances all throughout the Bible, from New Testament to Old Testament and everywhere in between. But in Matthew, we begin to see that the tag team has officially said it's time for the next player on the team. How many times has God told you one of two things? Tag the next guy and let him run or be the next guy tagged and you take it and run and we're disobedient. Just before we came in today, Carolyn said to us, now I want you to know that I give you permission. You're part of this team and we're like a tag team. And she said, all you have to do is come up, remember you said this, and tag us and I'll step aside and let you take over. What are the chances of any of us frozen to the seat over there going to get up and interrupt not only the powerhouse of God, the woman of God, the grandmother speaking from her heart, but the spirit of God moving through her. Not one of us had the scriptural right to tag team her because she had it all at that moment. Now, I told her because she still got that much left of her book. 
I told her, Carolyn, you are more than welcome to take my part. She said, no, I'm done. So now she felt like she had done her part, and it was time to pass the baton to the next speaker. Thank you very much, Jerry Savell, for kindly relinquishing your part and letting me take the hit as the next one that had to follow, Carolyn Savell. After that message from God, I said on a scale of 1 to 10, she was a 37. And I got to follow? Thank you very much. And Richard said, well, Lindsay, ha, ha, ha. I don't have to follow till after tonight. <laughs> Thanks for that support, buddy. <laughs> he sends his son, Jesus. He said, Jesus, the savior, redeemer, healer, wonder worker, Messiah, the mediator between God and man, supplying all of our name, the one that will redeem us from the curse of the law, son of righteousness with healing in his wings and the king of kings and Lord of lords. Now, Jesus only 33 short years on this earth, does his job. And he knows he's about to go to the Father. And he does have this human weakness. Don't be upset by your own human weakness. Fix it, but don't be upset by it. He said, Lord, if there's any other way to do this, Dad, let this cup pass. He was sweating drops of blood. He knew what was coming. He knew the Via Dolorosa. He knew the way of suffering. He knew Golgotha. He knew the way of the skull. He knew the 39 stripes on his back. He knew what was coming. If you listen to John chapter 17, maybe my most favorite part in the entire Bible, because he was saying, I know what's coming. Father, my time has come. You, I've glorified you. Now your time to glorify me so that I can be crucified. Wow, yippee, that sounds like fun. And that once that happens, I will pass it. And he said this, I pray for this world, he said, but not everybody. He said, I pray for those you gave me. I don't ever want to be part of the crowd that Jesus will not pray for. Oh, my gracious sakes. If you're part of that crowd, this altar's still available. It's still on the go light. I mean, for heaven's sake, my goodness sake, it is not the time to dabble. It is not the time to tamper with. It is not the time for the Laodicean church to be mixing and mingling. God said, be hot or cold, either do it or don't do it. But he said, when you start to mix and mingle and hot and cold becomes what? Lukewarm. He didn't say, I'll spew you out of my mouth. He didn't say, I'll spit you out of my mouth. It translates, I'll vomit you up. When Jonah in the whale, that was puking. My goodness. I do not want to be part of the crowd that gets puked up from the body of Christ because I'm not willing to do my part and take whatever you have to take to get it done. I have seen enough persecution. If I don't start seeing the hundredfold reward, I'm going to have a little chat when I get to heaven. And I always said that to her. He said, no, you're not. (laughs) No, I'm not. I'll get up there and all I want to do is worship God. But I tell you, in the meantime, I want to have a little chat. (laughs) I had a friend that once said, I am so tired of planting seed. You plant my seed. I just want to reap the harvest. (laughs) But we come to that place because persecution is real. But if you know who your teammates are, what is a teammate supposed to do to build you up, to hold you up? If you get an ankle turn, they go in for you. You tap your teammate and they go in and they take over for you. And then when it's time to hand it back to you, they hand it back to you. Teammates are smart people. How do you think Houston won the World Series. They were a team effort. I tell you what, I didn't want anybody to win and I didn't want anybody to lose. I just enjoyed the great baseball that we were seeing. Why? Because it was a team effort. Now we look at Acts. Let's go back a little bit. Jesus was saying, it's better for me to leave. And the disciples flipped out. And he said, if I go, and only if I go, will I send the Holy Spirit? 
the Holy Spirit, the divine paraclete, the one called alongside to help. Jesus knew that it was time to pass the baton. I wanted him to stay. The disciples would have wanted him to stay. In fact, they were all saying, please stay. Mary, his mama wanted him to stay. But she stuck it out. She stuck it out. Because she knew it's better if he goes. From the moment the Holy Spirit visited her and said, you'll bring forth the Christ child, she already knew. She had 33 tough years. And then she had a scene that no mama wants to see, but she stuck it out because that was her part. Sometimes I think, Lord, my part really stinks. I mean that. I'm sick of persecution. I'm sick of people lying about my children. I'm sick of what the media has done to my children. I'm sick of what the media did to me. And I'll be honest with you, from the fiber of my soul, I am sick of other Christians acting like Christians and treating you like the devil. I'm sick of it all. But it's my part. I would rather sing. I recently had thyroid cancer. I'm the person that you could not find a tablet of an aspirin or anything else in my house because I never needed one. And I get a little lump in my throat. And I was around a bunch of people that had strep throat. So I thought, I wonder if I've got a sore throat. Got a sore throat. Went to the doctor, had all the tests and everything. No, it didn't turn out to be a sore throat. It turned out to be stage four thyroid cancer. Papillary cancer, immediately needing surgery, blah, blah, blah. Now here's the comedy of it. So my husband has sung with the Johnny Cashes and the Aretha Franklins of the world. And he knew Elvis Presley, and I can go on and on and on. And he is really quite a good singer. Now at 69 years of age, he and Carolyn are real close in birthdays. In a couple of November, when's your birthday? 12. He'll be 69 years old. Sorry, I knew it. I was just working on it. (laughs) They already gave him a birthday present. I am so far out of this race right now. But... He really is a good singer, and he has, you know, sung on cool shows all over the universe. And if you, somebody sent me this the other day. If you type in the name Catherine Kuhlman, my middle daughter is Catherine Olivia after Catherine Kuhlman. If you type in the name Catherine, or if you type in Catherine Kuhlman, the picture of Richard pops up with her. On like Wikipedia or whatever that thing is, somewhere on the internet. Because he traveled with her and he sang with her. He sang for her. So they told me that after all this, It was so close to my vocal cords and it was growing so big that, of course, their concern would be that I would lose my voice. But they said, one of the other concerns, if you don't lose your voice, is your voice would change. And I said, Richard, it's possible my voice could change. You know what he said? Well, praise the Lord. (laughs) Yeah, it changed. It's worse. I'm not kidding. The other day I was trying to sing with him and it was awful to begin with. It was so bad that when my little daughter, Jordan, was a baby, I would, I would, you know, rock her. And if she had, like, kind of a rough night or a bad dream or whatever, you know, of course you pray for her. But I would always sing to her, and I'd make up the song. I'd make up lullabies. I'd make up all kinds of crazy songs on the, on the fly. And, and she looked at me. She said, Mama, don't cry. I said, Mama's not crying. I'm singing. She said, then, Mama, don't sing. <laughs> no different to this day. So needless to say, me doing what I'm doing in the natural is insane. I would have liked to let this cut pass. I would have liked to have done other things. But I'll tell you what, I hear the name of cancer and I start kicking devil behind. I had a friend call me and say they had thyroid cancer. Would I pray for him? I said, I can't wait. Give me everybody you know. Give me every number you know. 
And to be honest with you, Jerry and Carolyn were sitting in the, in the um, room, the waiting room while I was in surgery. And I remember this. I actually remember this. When I woke up from the anesthesia, I said to my husband, remember what I said? I'm not dead. I'm not dead. I didn't croak. I'm not dead. Therefore, I got something to do. Get back on the team. Replant. Root up. Rip out. Replant. And allow God to rebuild. And that's what God has been doing. Get a team that is on your side, that prays for you, that lifts up the name of the Lord, that lifts you up. I have a friend that had a brain tumor, and it was a horrifying experience. And when her sister found out she had a brain tumor, she had a party, honest to God. Yeah, that made the room go silent. Be careful who you connect yourself with for God's sake. I tell you, this team that I want to be in, it says this, the divine paraclete, the one called alongside the help, God's active force. That is one of the names of the Holy Spirit, God's active force. Why active? Because God's active. God is a God of action. He is not a passive verb. He is an active verb. When God needs something done, he creates. When God needed something done in the earth, he created you and me. When God needs something, he creates. And one of the things he created was this holy trinity, this dream, tre- dream team of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And now we're to be included in the team to take our rightful place, our seat of authority, seated with Christ at the right hand in heavenly places, far above all powers and principalities, so we can do what we're called to do. But if we don't know who our teammates are, or or if we have the wrong teammates, change teams. So God said, the Holy Spirit is a lot compared to the wind. You don't see the wind, but you see the effect of the wind. You don't see the wind, but you see the trees move. You see, when the Holy Spirit comes upon us, there should be an effect. The trees need to move. Mountains need to move. Sickness needs to go. Disease needs to go. Healings need to break out. The Holy Spirit needs to take off and go running around the room because when God breathes life, it's Peter, Paul, and Mary. How many of you ever listened? How old am I? How many of you ever listened to Peter, Paul, and Mary? Don't you dare raise your hand, oh baby one. You're too young. Peter, Paul, and Mary? Who? Not the disciples, not the prophets. Peter, Paul, and Mary. Mary Travers, how many? What is the answer? It's blowing in the wind. The Holy Spirit is the same thing. Peter, Paul, and Mary were prophetic. The answer, my friend, is blowing in the wind of the Holy Spirit, where you may not feel all the goosebumps somebody wants to feel, but I tell you what, you see the effect of it. You see the trees move. And we have got to see trees move in this generation. We have got to see bodies healed. We've got to see the miraculous. Listen, I had a tumor the size of a grapefruit. God sovereignly and miraculously healed it. I got a little lump in my throat, and I had to go to surgery. Why? I don't know. I know this. It really gave me a passion to get up and say certain things about that foul word called cancer. And let me tell you something. It's a word. I got the Holy Spirit. Other people have a word. I'll take the Holy Spirit, my friends. Acts 2.2. And suddenly, there was a sound like a mighty rushing wind that filled the house. The answer, my friend, is blown in the wind. And it needs to fill, fill your house on your job. In your church, in your office, in your car. And if it's not filling all that, maybe you ushered it out. Or maybe you didn't invite it in. Or maybe you got the wrong team in your car. Just think about that. I'm not saying run and change everything. Here's what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit fills. 
The Holy Spirit thinks. The Holy, this is all scripture. The Holy Spirit knows. The Holy Spirit has will and emotions. It is the third person of the Trinity. It is the third person of God's mega management team. And in it, 1 Corinthians says the Holy Spirit can be grieved. Ephesians 4.30 says the Holy Spirit intercedes. Romans 8.12 says the Holy Spirit makes decisions according to the will of the Father. 1 Corinthians 12, it functions as our, the Holy, not it, He. He functions as our comforter and counselor, John 16.13. But when the Holy Spirit of truth comes upon us, He guides us into all truth. If ever we needed to learn the difference between truth and fake news and fake garbage in the church and fake prophecy and fake doctrine and fake stupidity, oh my goodness, today's the day. For the Holy Spirit shall not speak from himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, he shall hear the will of the Father and that shall he speak. Two epic fails in the wrong team. One is epic fail, I'm sorry, one is epic success. It actually was called epic fail, epic success, and I'll show you in just a minute. Epic fail, the sinking of the Titanic. I'm going to give you some facts. The iceberg that sank the ship called the Titanic looked so small, no one paid attention. Hello, is that a sermon in itself? Boom, right there. The iceberg is only 10% on the top, 90% on the bottom. The iceberg that sank the Titanic was 100 feet high. Hold on to that thought. Wait till you hear the next part. 15,000 years ago, that iceberg was only a snowflake. Stop overlooking the little things. The lifeboat that was scheduled uh, that day that the iceberg hit, Captain Smith canceled the lifeboat drills. From the time that the lookout sounded, oh my gosh, please listen to this. From the time that the, the noise from the lookout tower sounded that they had hit the iceberg, guess what? They started to sink in, how long do you think? 37 seconds. Damage started setting in. Folks, we don't have time to play games. We don't have time to say, let's get out our Bible. You got to hide the word of God in your heart because the moment you get that signal sounding, we got to turn around and let it rip. We got to let it come out. We've got to know the word of God, hide it in our heart. Out of the abundance of our heart, the mouth begins to speak. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. They that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. And we've got to make sure that the fruit is not rotted. Period. 37 seconds from the time the alert sounded till they hit the first officer had sent the signal to turn left and reverse, and it wasn't enough. Listen, if you got to wait more than 37 seconds, it just might not be enough. Do you know that the lifeboats were not filled to capacity? The ones that would hold 65, the most people in it were 24. The ones that would hold 40, the most people in it were 12. Another ship was closer than the Carpathia, that Carpathia that came and rescued who they could rescue. The Californian was the closer ship. They didn't respond. They woke the captain up, and he did not respond. And then they said, now this may be just, you know, a fairy tale, but then they said that when everybody was awakened and they realized there was trouble, that the ship sent out the wrong signal and said, I'm on the ro- I am on the wrong course, stay back. That's what was sent out as the signal. This ship was built so perfect. Don't think your life is so perfect that God cannot come in and change your perfect life. And don't think your life is so perfect that God cannot walk in here and do something different. And don't think that other people's lives are so perfect that nothing can happen. And why am I sitting here on the bottom of the barrel? Listen. 
things can change in 37 seconds. This ship was so perfect that there was its own newspaper on board. It included news, stocks, advertisement, horse racing, and society gossip. How did that help them? Just a thought. It was a royal mail ship. It was officially responsible to deliver mail for the British Portal Service. It carried 3,423 sacks of mail that turned out to be 7 million pieces of mail. It, was, it took 73 years to find this wreckage because the ship, the ship was so strong it sank perfectly down two miles. The story of the diamond of the ocean, the heart of the ocean, yeah, that's a myth. And if you Google, uh, either Google Wikipedia or Thought, Thought.com, thought.co, thoughtcompany.com. Start to read about the things about the Titanic. Everything had to be perfect. It was done perfect. It was made perfect. You know what? Jesus was the only thing perfect, the only one perfect on this earth. And what happens is we think we have to have our hair perfect. We have to have our nails perfect. Well, listen, the first thing they do is you put Purell on your brand new polished nails. It all crackles and they chipped and peeled. Yesterday, I tried so hard to do it right. Today, I got all fancied up because my daughter did my hair or, or did my makeup and did my all my clothes and laid it all out, matched my jewelry, or God only knows what I would have come out with. First thing I did, I sat down to make Carolyn Savelle notes and I wrote all over my outfit with ink. It's not going to be perfect. They worked on perfecting perfect and the ship sank. You don't have to be perfect. Your ship could still sink. It says this, 1912, the steamer Titanic was the largest man-made object that ever moved on the earth. It took $7.5 million to build. 15,000 people worked on it in Belfast, Ireland. This is what I want you to see. The iceberg that sank the Titanic was only 100 feet high. But the Titanic, equipped with social media, all the food in the world. Do you know that it was even equipped with a songbook with 352 songs that you could request at any given time. And the orchestra was prepared to play any song you wanted out of a songbook with 352 songs. And at any given moment, they would play. And after the Titanic began to sink, they played for two hours and five minutes because they were dedicated to their job. Sinking ship. And yet they wouldn't quit. They were being perfect. Perfect doesn't always work. The one thing the ship did not have, it had lifeboats that were not used. It had social media that didn't matter. It had a bank. It had a total and complete newspaper system. It was able to take your horse bets and tell you what happened. But you know what it didn't have? Binoculars. Whoops. It had a swimming pool, two libraries, a Turkish bath, a squash court, a gym. But no binoculars. Sometimes we're trying to perfect our messages. We're trying to perfect our shoes. We're trying to perfect our hair. Got to have our church perfect. Got to have. Listen, I like to have things nice. I would have rather not messed up my nails. And I really wish I hadn't gotten ink on my new outfit. But the truth of the matter is, it's not about my perfection. It's about, am I on the right team? And if I'm on the team with the Holy Spirit, he will do things through me. Now, I want to show you something different. Before I tell you the good, the good failure, do you know what one of the ships was loaded with? Be careful who you hang out with. The baker was on the ship and he was regarded as the best of the best. Do you know what was on the baker's ship and on his little lifeboat? He had a lifeboat. They gave him a lifeboat. Do you know what was on his lifeboat? Loaves of bread. Loaves of bread. That's what he cared enough to take out. People are dying and he took two, he took a ship full or a, a, a little lifeboat full of bread. One woman wouldn't let anybody get on the the thing with her because she had her two dogs. Careful who you attach to.
Houston, we have a problem, Apollo 13. It was the seventh man mission to the Apollo program. It was supposed to return completely doing its land on the moon mission, third intended to land on the moon. When it got up in two days, the oxygen tank exploded. It crippled the service module. It lost its power. It had limited power. I think, was it 17%, Rick? 17% was the power. It lost its cabin heat, the shortage of portable water. It was critical need to repair carbon dioxide removal system, and none of it was working. It had 101,261 pounds of launch mass. I'm from Cocoa Beach, Florida. And believe me, I used to sit there and watch those rockets split the sky and feel the power and the rumble. I had a relative that worked there. I used to get to go to the VAB building, Vehicle Assembly Building, and get to see those things built. There is no explanation of power. 11,133 pounds only left on the landing mass. James Lovell Jr., John Swigert, Swigert Jr., and Fred House Jr. John Swigert was a replacement for a guy by the name of Ken Mattingly. I could read you Ken Mattingly's bio. It's this long. He had every accolade. He did everything right. He worked. He was probably the most diligent astronaut of modern time to do everything right. And he got exposed to German measles in 72 hours before he was supposed to be on this mission. He got scrapped. He was so mad and so angry that he went home, he turned his telephone off, and when Houston We Have a Problem came in and all this stuff happened, they knew if they could get a hold of Ken Mattingly, they would have some chance to put them on the team and bring the team home. And Ken Mattingly was so upset, he turned his telephone off and fell asleep. And when he did that, they couldn't find him. Well, I'll tell you what, they finally got him. And when they got him, instead of being angry, instead of being bitter, instead of being mad, listen... Life will throw you some stinking curveballs. But instead of getting mad, instead of shutting your phone off, instead of going asleep and saying, I'll have nothing to do with you ever, because he was the qualified one. And something as silly as exposure to German measles, which, by the way, he never got, scrapped him from one of the most important missions of Apollo 16, or uh, Apollo 13 on the earth. But here's the thing. Your disappointment may be God's salvation. Because Ken Mattingly was still on the ground, and he knew that thing backwards and forwards, upside down and inside out. If you remember watching the movie, now some of the movie took some liberties, but if you watch Apollo 13 in the movie, they had a table. It's my favorite thing of any movie, of anything ever in the history of the universe for me, because I always look at this movie. I always go back to it, and I always go back to the table. They took everything that was only available up there. You could not add and you could not subtract. You had to take the parts of that uh, system of Apollo 13. They threw it on the table. And when Ken Mattingly walked in, he said, we can do this. They had lost oxygen. They had lost power down to something like 17%. They had lost the carbon dioxide where it sucks all the bad air out and the good air in. They lost it all. They had a matter of days. They were to return in a total of six days. They're on day two. Everything blows up. Ken Mattingly can't be found. When they found him, instead of saying he's going to hate our guts, he walked in and said, we can do this. One guy says, Houston, we have a problem. Because they did. The next guy in the team says, 
We can do this. And here's what happened. They did. They took all the parts that were available and they kept doing it at full power and then lower power and lower power. And they kept saying, no, they've got 17% power. You got to get it right. You got to get it right or they're all going to die. Have a friend that will say, we're going to help you get it right before you die. Have somebody that's willing to say, you don't have 30%. You don't have 90%, but we can do this thing. We can work with what we have. We don't have to have 67 piece orchestra. So you got two piece orchestra. We can do this thing. Have somebody that believes in the vision and make sure they're on your team. So he goes through all of this. And when it was all said and done, quote, we have everything we will ever need. Now we just have to figure out what to do with it and who will help us. Let's say that one again. We have everything we will ever need. Now we just have to figure out what to do with it and who will help us. Get on the right team. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And now, because Jesus went to the cross, the Holy Spirit has been poured out. The baton, John chapter 17, has been passed to us. And the glory that I have now experienced, Father God, I give to them. And the glory, the anointing and the power, I give to them. Jesus took the baton and he said, hitherto or before now, you've asked nothing in my name. Ask and you shall receive that your joy may be full. And he turned around and he said on the last night before now, he always gave deadlines and told what was to come. And then he said, greater work shall you do because I go to my father. Well, what did he do? He stopped funeral processions. He healed the sick. He did all kinds of things. And are we seeing that today? Are the greater works happening? Because we're on the right team. We've got the Holy Spirit. We've got the approval of Jesus who went to the cross. And we've got the instruction of God the Father. And we sit back and say, I need more, Lord. No, you don't. You have everything you will ever need to get the job done. We have to find out what to do with it and who will help us. God is not going to send Jesus to the cross. He's coming back on a horse. He's going to split the sky and he's going to take us up and we're going to get raptured. Okay, dandy. But what are we going to do in the meantime? He's not going back to the cross. Oh, God, help me. Already did. Oh, Jesus, do something. Already did. Oh, Lord. Yeah, he's there. But until we recognize we have everything we will ever need, now what we have to do is find out what to do with it and who will help us. The helper, divine paraclete, the one called us alongside to help. But get on the right team. If the team is just you and God, you and Meadowlark Lemon, great team. I got my team. If God gives you a house full of team, if God gives you a big team, if God gives you a tiny team, it doesn't matter. That's your team. Treat it precious. Win the all-star game. Then go on and turn around and, 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 and win the World Series. My father died in November of 1968. I did not get to see them win the World Series except by television. My dad sponsored their cars, and my dad was car dealership, uh, car dealer in Michigan. And that's how his connection was to the, to the Detroit Tigers. But I am now 61 years old. My dad died when I was 12. I'm 61. And I tell you, you talk about a losing streak. The Tigers found new ways to lose this season. <laughs> They lost Verlander, but they're still my team. They'll always be my team. 
will always be God's team if we will let ourselves be God's team. The Holy Spirit will always be our team if we stop looking at all the junk, too beady, too bumpy, too leafy, too lumpy, and say, I'm on God's team, and he's on my team. Father God, in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, Lord, I am giving you right now permission for the free flowing of the Holy Spirit. Peter, Paul, and Mary, like a mighty rushing wind. The answer, my friend, it really is blowing in the wind. And in the name of Jesus, I just want you to begin to pray in the Spirit. I want you to begin to talk to Daddy God. I want you to be saying in the name of Jesus. I want you to listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit deep inside you. What is the Holy Spirit saying to you? What are you called to do? What is the conviction of your heart right now? What does God want to heal? What does God want to rip up and root out? What does God want you to replant? And what are you going to ask God to rebuild? You have not because you ask not. Ask and you shall receive that your joy may be full. He wants you to be full of joy. He wants you to have the hope of glory. But if we sit back talking about too beady, too bumpy, too leafy, too lumpy, rip that conversation out of your mouth and replace it with the joy of the Lord is my strength. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. By the stripes that wounded Jesus, I am to be made healed and, and completely whole. My God shall supply all my needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Get a hold of your team. And if you're your only team, get a hold of your words. And if somebody is speaking evil of your team, get a new team. And begin to recognize that Father God, has, he is your El Elyon, the Most High God, the possessor of heaven and earth. And he is the one that will deliver you from all your enemies. He is the one that turned the baton to Jesus. And he said to Jesus, now do your part. And Jesus went to the cross. He suffered and died. On the third day, he rose from the dead. And then he passed the baton to the Holy Spirit. He is now in us 24 hours a day, seven days a week, ever interceding. And John chapter 17 says, now guys, it's your turn. Now, guys, the power and the glory is the baton waiting for you. Don't complain. Don't gripe. Don't whine. I have done that enough for everybody in the room. But instead, begin to say, I am the healed of the Lord. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Holy Spirit, take over this meeting right this second. Come on, mighty rushing wind. We got a lot of room for you. We want to see the trees of faith begin to move left and right, up and down. Holy Spirit. Begin healing. Holy Spirit, begin moving. Father God, if there's anyone in this room that has been given that silly name of cancer, I'm not even going to say dread it. I'm not going to dread that thing. If you know you have been diagnosed with it or someone you know has been diagnosed with it or you've been diagnosed with something that is unlike God, especially in your physical body or your thought, stand up. Let's deal with it. Come on. This is my family. Let's deal with it. Lay hands on the sick and expect them to recover in the name of Jesus. I pray for you. I pray for you. I pray for... You know, I'm just going to go up and down the rows. You guys pray for the ones standing. But I speak to these rows. I speak life and healing and health and wholeness. I speak to your physical body. If you need healing, get healed. If you don't need healing, stay healed in the name of Jesus. We speak healing into this room healing in this house today. We speak healing. Begin to believe that as you lay hands on the sick, by my God, they shall recover in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Now add to this group, financial issues. Stand up. Let's deal with it. I don't want you to have enough. I don't even want you to have more than enough. I want you to jump into the category of exceedingly abundantly far above anything you can ever dare ask or think. 
Now, Terry, Jerry, Cassidy, the whole Safel family, all of you. Rachel, excuse me. I am declaring for your ministry to go around the world so many times you can hardly keep up with it to reach more people, to do more for the kingdom of God. I declare over your finances that you have so much you don't even know where to sow and where to go with it. I declare over your finances that as you sow, as you sow, there is a qualifier. As you sow, you declare you're a tither. And we call back finances from the north, the south, the east, and the west for angels to bring in the harvest. Now, for your ministry to grow, pop up if that's what you need. Or if you're ready to pass the baton, or you're ready to have the baton passed to you, stand up, deal with it. Lord, in the name of Jesus, I pray for the baton to be in the right hands at the right time, at the right place. And all the provision, whether it's a building, whether it's an airplane, whether it's gasoline, whatever it is that you have need of, I expect my God to supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Family issues, stand up. Let's deal with them. I pray for your family to come in harmony with the word and the will of God and with your prayers. I pray for your family to come in harmony with the word and the will of God. And with your prayers, I pray for God to divinely send the laborers to your family members and your prayers to be sovereignly answered. Now, if God is calling you into a different direction, I pray that your ears are open and you have an Ananias and Straight Street visitation. The Lord told Saul when he changed him to Paul and he blinded his eyes and said, go into town. He said, there you will go to Straight Street. I love that direction. You'll meet a man named Ananias. Clear cut. He will pray for you and you will be healed. Now listen, sometimes in this earth we need that clear cut direction. Lord, open our ears that we will hear Ananias in Straight Street. And when we get that clear cut direction, we will not walk, but we will run. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. R.R., do you have anything? Anybody? Jerry, you want to close it? You're going to leave me here on my own, aren't you? You want to close it, Jerry? And I tell you this much. If you were a wise man or woman, this is my total and complete personal opinion. You will glean and absorb every drip drop of whatever it is that God has placed in Jerry Savelle until you are overflowing with what he has. He is kind. He is faithful. He is God's servant. He's a gentleman. If you want to make the list longer, it just goes on and on and on. And if you ever wanted to model yourself after someone God put in your lifetime, there he is, Mr. Jerry Savelle. I'm going to let you close it. Bless you. Thank you. Give Lindsay a good hand. Praise God. Amen. Did you receive this afternoon? Hallelujah. Praise your Father. Let's lift our hands one more time and just bless the Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. We worship you, Jesus. We worship you, Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah. We bless you, Father. We bless you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. 
Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. Richard, do you have anything you want to do here? Thank you, Father. Bless the Lord. Just worship Him. Thank you, Lord. We worship you, Father. Worship you, Father. Worship you, Father. Bless your holy name. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I want to read something to you before I let you go this afternoon. The Lord brought it up to me again while Lindsay was speaking. In Isaiah chapter 58, verse 12 says, And they that shall be of thee shall build the old waste places. Thou shalt raise up the foundations of many generations. Thou shalt be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of paths to dwell in. Years ago, many, many years ago, someone that I had great respect for, he's going on to be with the Lord now, prophesied that over me and said, uh, you will become one of the repairer of the breach. You will become one of the restorers of paths to dwell in. I didn't know exactly what that meant at the time. And over the years, I realized that God had given me a a respect, a love for the old pioneers of the Christian movement. And I'm talking about the men like Oral Roberts, the men like T.L. Osborne, Smith Wigglesworth, and others, Amy Simple McPherson, and those that God used in the generation just before ours. And the foundations that they laid, I wouldn't be the prosperous man I am today without Oral Roberts having been told by the Holy Spirit that God is a good God. That God wants His people to prosper and be in health even as His soul prospers. He was one of the first who began preaching that, laid that foundation with healing and miracles laid that foundation. You know, some of the pioneers, they were thrown in jail for healing the sick and practicing medicine without a license. (laughs) That's what they were told. But they laid the foundation. They laid the foundation of the Holy Spirit. One of the old pioneers that I met at Life Tabernacle many, many years ago. He was tarred and feathered for preaching that you could be filled with the Holy Spirit and speak with other tongues. 
They took him out into a field and tarred and feathered him for preaching that you could be filled with the Holy Spirit and speak with other tongues. That's not happening to anybody today. But some of those men and some of those women, they paid a precious price for truth. And the devil is doing his best to get the church to lay aside these truths. But I, for one, am not going to allow it to happen. I'm part of that repairing the breach and repairing or restoring the paths to dwell in. And so are you. Amen. So are you. A repair of the breach. Restoring the paths. We're digging up those old wells. Amen. They still got water in them. They've just been covered up. Amen. So let's get busy. Keep laying the foundation. Make up our minds. Whatever everybody else is going to do, we're going to march to the beat of a different drummer. We're going to stand for truth. Can you say amen? amen? So look at your neighbor and say, I'm one of the repairer of the breaches. I'm one of the restorer of the paths. Amen. Lift your hands right now and just commit yourself to that. Commit yourself to it in the name of Jesus. Lord, we commit ourselves. If necessary, lay the foundation again, but we're not going to lay it aside. We're going to build on it. We're going to build on it. We're going to uphold truth, stand for truth, not be carried away with winds of doctrine, not be carried away with whatever seems to be the most popular today. We'll stand for truth. We'll stand for the Word of God. We'll stand for the moving of the Holy Spirit in the name of Jesus. Lord, we'll stand for speaking in tongues. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. I'm a tongue talker. Hallelujah. And I'm not ashamed of it. I lay hands on the sick and I am not ashamed of it. I preach righteousness and I am not ashamed of it. Hallelujah. Now, thank you, Father, that I'm part of the group that has made the decision that we will preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, and will not compromise it. In Jesus' name. Amen. You agree with that? Give the Lord a good shout. Hallelujah. Amen. Praise God.